morning, good morning, good morning. Morning. Okay. So, uh, we are deep into the month of July, and I think everybody's a little off their schedule, and there's a lot going on. So I'll remind you of just a couple of quick prayer requests. Um, and then there is a team leader meeting today. We have some folks who are out of Deacon Tony is at work. Found out on Friday that he would be, or Thursday, actually, that he would be at work until possibly 10 or 11 o'clock tonight. And so he would not be happy about that. Um, so pray for him because he's out there drilling holes in the ground and they go 200 feet deep sometimes and it's a job. And so the um, Lord watch over him. And then we have others who have some illnesses going on and just pray, Lord, to be with them and what they're going through. And then um, if you could remember uh, Gina Hyrick, her and her family were burnt out of their house a few months back. She's a client of the life station. And they are within two months of not being able to stay where they currently are and need a place to live and have a limited budget. And they also could go to live near her son in West Virginia, but uh, they have a limited budget to get there and get a place when they get there and they don't have enough money for that either. So kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So it's a reminder that, you know, sometimes we've got it really good. God's taking care of us. And we have to remember that some folks are not as blessed as we are in uh, the trappings of life and that kind of thing. So if you remember Gina and her family, uh, her, she's got two adult children and a 17-year-old that are with her, and they're just trying to figure things out. She'd like to come to New Heights. She's very encouraged by what we do, listen to the message, that kind of thing. But uh, right now, we're going to live. And so we pray, possibly pray for them. That would be great. Uh, that being said, we're just going to pray and let God be. Okay? Lord in heaven, thank you for this moment together. We realize that um, in the midst of summer, especially in Northwest Ohio, we're kind of like by the end of winter, where uh, seasonal affective disorder sets in for a lot of folks in, in Northwest Ohio, and we feel like just blah, worn out. Then summer comes and the sun shines, the days stay shining long, and we uh, our times on our clock get messed up, and it's hard to figure out what we're supposed to be doing when and so on. And then plus there's folks who are suffering from allergies and sinus infections. We've got two uh, who have sinus infections bad, and we just pray, Lord, that you come with them. And Miss Chris has been off and on losing her voice over the last few weeks. And Pete um, and Tony stuck at work. And people like Gina, and we know that her story repeats a hundred times, a thousand times across the city. They've lost their place to live. Or are struggling with such physical health concerns and psychological health concerns that they can't even function. And so, Lord, we just pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray that in this day, those who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus would find you always ready, as we know you are, always ready to intervene in their situation, to lift them up, to empower them, to make them able, cross over barriers and do the things that really need to be done. And we know, well, we know that the things that really need to be done are to deny ourselves, Take up our car daily and follow after you. And all the rest of it is just the stuff of life. Now we come together to worship, to remember that the stuff of life cannot interfere with what's really important, and that's our time with you. Time collected as a group, time serving, time giving, time learning to love. And we pray that you'll do that in us today. Foster some new strength, some new seed, some new teaching, some new growth, some new step forward. By the power of your Holy Spirit, by the presence of our God, through our worship, or through your ministry in our worship, through your word, 
We turn it all over to you, however you want to do it, whatever you want to use for each one of us and us as a collective group, and even those who can't be with us who, will, who are watching online right now or who will watch later, who will listen to the podcast, but we'll pray for all ears to be open, to hear, to be channels through our hearts that can be effective. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You would stand and join us. There's some clapping that can be done in this song and some dancing. I got a clap or two. I'm not much of a
symbolize it by toys or by paintings or pictures that you've drawn. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do uh, to be doing study while you're looking at the Word, okay? So really, it's biblical study that has something to do with the Bible. Otherwise, it's just study. Like, you might study a book that you read or study something for your science class or something like that. But it's biblical study as long as it's based on the Bible and you do something other than just read it, memorize it, meditate on it. Right? So not just intake or memorization or meditation, but something more that's when it's studied, something different. Okay? So maybe uh, you've studied your Bible. I had a peculiar instance over the last two weeks I'll share with you in studying my Bible. Um, but maybe you studied your Bible this week and you saw something. Did anyone see anything this week? You'd like to share. That point is something out of you. Um, I got this notification from the weather, and it's saying that a lot of people in Canada are having to evacuate from their homes and move away because of all the fires. It is spreading faster than the firefighters can handle it, and there has been, and it's getting closer to the oil. Uh,
I basically understand what the text is about, and, and I'm forming the points. And then once I form the points, and I have some more work to do after that, kind of cross-check everything, make sure it's all godly, I'm not going to say anything that's not, and, and so on. So I was about halfway done, and, and while I was in here during worship last Sunday, one of the songs that we sang, God spoke to me about what I was studying. Okay? And I've been thinking a lot, ever since we started this, of how every spiritual discipline relates together. We're, we're making a mistake by emphasizing one discipline over another. I, like, is there anybody in here that would not resonate with the fact that we need to pray for people who are being put out of their homes by forest fires? We can all do that, right? We all agree we need to pray for those people. God wants those people to be safe. He wants those people to be in a right relationship with him. And that God is not God's will that forest fires will burn them out of their homes. It, it's happening, uh, but God puts up with a lot of stuff that happens until Jesus comes again. Right? And so we can all resonate with, uh, well, we ought to pray, but here's what happens. We say that, and then we go out about our day, and we kind of not, never quite get back to praying for those people. And we don't really know them by name, so we pray, Lord, your will be done, and that's good enough, right? Or we pray right before we eat, you know, Father, we love you, please bless those who need you, and that's good enough, right? Bless those who are sick and hurting right now, that's good enough, right? But it's a pretty shallow discipline of prayer. It's a once in a while, barely getting done, sort of covering the bases. Oh, I forgot to pray for the person I promised. Prayer. That's what it is. But if you add in study of the word to that, and you think about it, so you get disciplines. If I'm studying my Bible, I'm just going to crack open my Bible, and then you can, you can do it. Well, this, this is what I generally do every morning. I crack open my Bible to wherever I feel like the Lord is leading. Not randomly. It's not theirs, right? But wherever I feel like the Lord is leading me, I'll be flipping through and I'll see the names of the books and I'll say, you know what? I feel like the Lord says, go right there, right now. And I just felt like the Lord says, stop right here, right now. So Psalm 18, right? Psalm 18 begins, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. You couldn't make that up, right? So now, I think about out of that, so what does it mean to love God? Well, love God would be to do the things that he commanded. Yes, Jesus said, oh, how can you say you love me and don't follow my commands, right? So you can follow God's commands. So then I'm going to think about what are the commands of God that I would do. Oh, yeah. I said I would pray. God wants you to pray. I said I would pray. Who did I say I would pray for? And it all ties back in. You do that with every spiritual discipline. So by meditating about, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. Meditate about that phrase and think about what that means, break it down in pieces, ask myself questions. You can just do who, what, why, when, where, what, who does who does what in that passage of scripture? I do. What do I do? I love the Lord. Right? Who who do I love? I love God. What do I mean when I say I love the Lord? Okay, so who, what, why? Why do I love the Lord? Let me count the ways. Let me count the reasons why I love God. Right? I love him, of course, because he first loved me. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how to love anybody. I know that, because I remember what it's like to be a non-Christian. I didn't know how to love that. Right? And so, that's meditating. And then out of meditating, I'm writing something down. That's the same thing. So if you say you're going to pray, so we say we're going to pray for the people in the forest fires, shouldn't we ought to write it down? Or somehow set. By the way, does anybody use reminders on your phone? Okay? So you put reminders on your phone. you got an event tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Uh, let's see. you got an event next Thursday at 11 o'clock. So, it's, uh, it's at King in Sylvania, next Thursday, 11 o'clock. What time is the reminder set for? 11 o'clock next Thursday, right? Earlier. How much earlier? 
Okay, so a day would be good, but then what if it goes off on Wednesday night and then Thursday morning you forget? Alright, so Molly says a day and two hours. So I always set a reminder for plenty of time to get there early and the day before. Why am I doing that? And how does study do that for us? So anyway, I'm studying that passage of scripture and I got halfway through it by last Sunday and then I'm, I'm studying it through this weekend. Monday I studied it and Tuesday I studied it and Wednesday I studied it and by Wednesday, guess how far along I was on my sermon for today? 50%. Zero progress. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, zero progress. I had studied a lot more, but I hadn't made any progress toward completion. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And so I'm praying to God, and I said, God, I said, is this passage of scripture for the church? Is this, am I supposed to preach this for Sunday? And God said, no, I never said that. I led, you know, I led you to it, but I never told you to preach it. And so then I set it aside and said, okay, lead me to the passage of scripture for Sunday. And I wound up back in Deuteronomy, and God's continuing today in the passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy, which is where I was meant to be. So then I said to God, I said, so what about that passage I studied for 15 hours or something, for like 12, 15 hours? And he said, well, that was for you. And now I know. So I went back and looked at the things that I had studied, and I found some things. Um, a couple of things which do tie into the sermon today. They're not, the text is not in there, and the points are not in there, but it does tie in. It helped me to understand something. And then uh, Friday, I had a rough day, a very rough day. Things were out of control. I wanted to work until 10 o'clock at night, away from home, couldn't go with my family to the T-ball games. It was like that. It was a rough day. As I'm going through that and getting lost in the spiritual warfare and about to lose it, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm frankly found out something that a brother of mine who basically lied to my face was doing. And I felt betrayed, and I was going to come at, I was, I was ready to go after him about it, and do something that I was going to regret. And instead, I thought about that passage of scripture that I had studied, and God reminded me what it means to be free when circumstances in your life would lead you to act another way. So, like, I was angry, and I was betrayed, and I was hurt, and I was going to go after him and say something, and whatever. Yet, God reminded me, because the passage of Scripture is in John chapter 8, where Jesus says, Come, you know, the truth, and the truth, and free. Come, follow me, and the truth, and I realized that I was free to go either way. I could do it either way. But I also realized that one way would be much more beneficial than the other. And so I went the way, the more beneficial way. So I would encourage you to, to study your Bibles. Okay? We're working through the book of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 24. We've got eight. Well, today we reach into 25. So we've got eight chapters left. 25 through 32, inclusive. I would encourage you to come in here on Sunday, even if we went up in a different text, to have studied that passage. Not just looked at it, not just read it out, read it or read it out loud to yourself, but have studied what is likely to be next. Because even if I don't preach that passage on Sunday morning, you'll get something out of it. It's God's Word. It is a living being, essentially, and it will speak to you in so many ways. Alright, so we're going to pray at this time. We're going to have an offering, a couple songs, going to the Word. I'm excited about this sermon because you just heard the journey, and I'm positive, absolutely 100% positive in the points and in the text, and it's exciting. So, uh, Jason was going to pass off the place, and now I don't see him, so someone will. I will. I will. Brother Tim, would you pray and lead us, and we'll pray with you.
I have judged wrongly. Have you ever done that? I have been dealing with someone and I could I think, you know, they're getting mad at me. Their face is getting red or puffy or they're kind of sticking their chest out a little bit. Maybe their volume is coming up. Only to find out a second later, a moment later, that they weren't getting mad at me. They were just realizing that they had done something wrong and they're apologizing. I have thought about talking to someone about God, about Jesus, about church, about the Bible. And I thought, ah, oh, they're not going to be interested in that. Looking at them, 
um, big biker dudes with tattoos all over that you know you're afraid to say hello to if you're you know that kind of a timid, a timid intimidated personality like I was in my flesh, um, or the wiry, scrappy, fast, all over, talks quick, might be hopped up on cocaine for all you know, guy that it's hard to talk to. And I have judged wrongly because I have talked to big biker dudes who you'd say well, you'd be afraid to say hello to, and I've talked to them about Jesus and found out that they love God, that they're followers of the Lord, that they read their Bibles, that they pray and are looking forward to being in heaven with me one time. Or that quick worded, scrappy dude that you wouldn't normally want to stop talking to because he might be hopped up on cocaine. I have found out that he really wanted to know about God. Just this morning, as I was leaving for church, uh, running a few minutes behind, because the, the very last thing I did before I lost, left the house was lost my cell phone. And I had to go to the house phone and dial it and go walking through the house and listen for it vibrating. And I found it. As I go, to, go outside and put my stuff in the car, young man on the porch next door to my house, his name is James, by the way, uh, and the Lord prompted me in my spirit to invite James to come to church. I've seen him sometimes, talk to him outside. The last time I talked to him was probably six months ago, and I broached the topic of Christianity and at that time, and, and he didn't want to talk about it. He said, no, that stuff's not for me. But this morning, the Lord prompted me to invite him to come to church. And I thought, well, Lord, he said that stuff's not for him, and I wasn't going to do it. And I got in the car, and I, he was standing on the front porch holding a dog, uh, petting it, you know, stroking it, and acting like it was all cute and all that. And I said, good morning. He said, good morning. I said, it's a beautiful day to be outside, you know. And he said, yeah. He said, if it doesn't rain, we talked about the rain and the weather. And I remember that the Lord had prompted me to invite him to church, and I said, I said I'm, I'm heading to church. If you want to go, I, you can go with me. And he said, actually... I'm waiting for her mother to get ready and we're going to church as soon as she's ready at her mother's church. So the man that I'm thinking wouldn't have anything to do with church, suddenly, I wasn't going to invite him because I'm thinking he didn't have anything, wasn't going to have anything. He was already planning on going, not to our church, but to another church. I have judged wrongly. I submit to you, whether you believe it or not, you have more often judged wrongly, made a wrong decision about a person's demeanor, about the way they're behaving, about what's on their face, about something they said, about what they meant when they said it, why they did it, you have more often gotten that wrong than you have right. And I'll tell you why. Because we are all unique persons, every single one of us. Now, in outside the Lord, in the kingdom of Satan, that plays itself out in all kinds of bad behavior. Okay, we do all kinds of things that our father, Satan, wants us to do when we're outside the kingdom of God. But still fairly unique to us. We do them by our own thought processes and arrive, it's okay for me to take this thing that doesn't belong to me because, and we have our few reasons, and if you went in the same exact scenario with another person, same, same prompting by Satan, same prompting by uh, evil spirits or the flesh, and, we're, and you looked at their reasons for doing it, they would not be the same as yours. Created unique in God, we are then affected uniquely by an enemy, which is I understand is more than one. It's uh, Satan, evil spirits, the world, and our fleshly desires. And that last one really 
still stays pretty unique in a sense because your lust of the flesh is different than mine. Your lust of the eyes is different than mine. Your pride of life is different than mine. Right? So we're still tempted to judge a certain way or to think somebody else is going to respond the way we are. I'll use this last illustration. We're going to into the text. When I was at uh, Pizza Hut, I took a class uh, uh, as a manager, as becoming a, a store manager, as a training. And they said, when you're hiring somebody, you have to be, wor- be careful of the two most common mistakes that people make when they're hiring somebody. And the first one is to try to hire somebody that is in some way like them. So in other words, if you're talking to a person and you're an early riser and you talk to a candidate for the job and they say they're an early riser, whether they are or not, doesn't matter, but they say they are. And you talk to another candidate at the job that says they, they tend to sleep late on weekends and they don't really like mornings, blah, blah, blah. And you see an early riser in you, then you're going to sometimes be more likely to hire the person that says they're an early riser because you, you have a good self-esteem of yourself. You're doing the job. You're working the job. You want somebody who's like you, like that, so you're going to hire somebody like you. Or you may rebel from that and say, I don't want to hire somebody just like me because I want to round out my team. I want to do a good job of having a diverse team that can do the things that I can't do and so on. So you go, no, I'm not going to hire the early riser because they're like me. I'm going to hire the, the late sleeper who's different than me. Both of those are huge mistakes in hiring. Even if you take your best trait and you say, I am super organized, I take notes on everything, I've got my email box well sorted, and you ask them and you say, do you do this? Do you do this? And they say, no, I don't take notes on stuff. No, I'm not organized. No, I don't have my email box well sorted. Not hiring them because of those, because of not having those good traits could still be a mistake. Those are not reasons to hire or not hire somebody. The real reason to hire or not to hire somebody is whether they can do the job and do it well and move forward the business. Okay. That was the class as I was trained. I've since learned that there's a lot more to it than that, and I understand. But what I'm getting at is that you're walking around looking. Ron, I'll give you an example of this. Have you ever been at Myers? And you're walking around Myers, and you walk past a couple of guys who are talking, and the way they're talking, the way they're acting, you're pretty sure they're gamers. Has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me a dozen times. right? And I have no clue whether, they were, unless they were talking about games, I have no clue whether or not they're gamers or not. But the way they're acting, the way they're talking, I think they probably are. And I could broach the topic with them and find out whether they are and then use that to bridge into talking about Jesus. I have not, except for in one case I think I did, but most times I have not. But if I would start talking about them, I might find out, no, they're not. We were in the airport on the way to, uh, I was in the airport on the way uh, back from New Orleans and and there was a couple there and they had a young daughter who was out of control. She was... They, they had to monitor every single second because she was obviously had some discipline issues, never, might, maybe had never been disciplined or whatever, but she was all over. And um, I had a feeling to talk to them, and I started talking to the one lady, and then she broke off the conversation with me and started talking to a 13-year-old boy who was sitting next to her because on her phone, she was playing Pokemon Go, and he, or, I don't know if she was actually playing it, but she was managing it or whatever, and the boy was doing the same thing. And they wanted to talk about Pokemon Go for the remaining hour that we sat in the airport. You can look at somebody and go, I don't have anything in common with them, but I'm, this is what I'm saying to you. When you make that judgment, you are wrong. You can look at them and say they are just like me, but you're wrong. Now, I want you to bear that in mind then and see how God in this text sets up society. And we don't get everything, but some, some serious pieces of how he sets up society to preserve personhood, okay? So grab your Bibles if you would. We're going to read from 
Deuteronomy chapter 24. Amen. Somebody give me an amen. Thank you, Brother Ron. A couple others. Thank you so much. This is God's Word. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture, but the points are quick. I am not going to break down everything. I don't think we have to. It's pretty straightforward. So I think everybody in this room will get it mostly. Anybody's got a question or I didn't explain something enough for you, just feel free to raise your hand. It's okay. All right. And if you're on the internet and struggling, email me and I'll give you the answer. Okay. Deuteronomy 24, 6. No one shall take a hand mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for he would be taking a life in pledge. A hand mill is for grinding grain or whatever into flour, right? And an upper millstone is a bigger stone that runs on a lower stone and it does the same thing. It grinds it into flour. And because that's how they would make their food, in fact, the houses in that day were described as all having one. Like they all had one. Because they could get grain, they could make bread, right? And so if you take their hand mill or their upper millstone, you're taking their life. Because how are they going to make bread? Okay? So he says, don't do that. If a man is caught kidnapping any of his countrymen, and that word could be just stealing, stealing his countrymen, of the sons of Israel, and he deals with him violently or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from among you. We already talked quite a bit about wiping out evil from among us as, as people of grace. And it says if, if that person takes captive or steals another member of the country, another member of the grace family, then they deserve death. For us, that would be like casting them out. right? We wouldn't have, they can't be part of our church if they're kidnappers. We just don't do that. Okay. Verse 8, be careful against an infection of leprosy that you diligently observe and do according to all that the Levitical priests shall teach you as I have commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. So they're going to do everything they're told about leprosy. 9 says, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as he came out of Egypt. So this is a particular story. We're not going to go there and read it. Miriam, who was Miriam? Does anybody know this? She's somebody famous' sister. Going once? Miriam is Moses' sister. Okay? And they come out of Egypt. And they're, they're traveling together. And there's a... Well, that would have worked too, I suppose. Well, we don't technically know. It could have been... Yeah, okay. But anyway, yeah, probably true. At least Aaron, she would have been Aaron's at least half-sister, if not full-sister then. Okay? Because Aaron was Moses' brother. And Miriam starts talking bad about Moses. God settles over Miriam's tent. When she comes out, she's leprous all over. Moses begs God and says, forgive her. And God says, listen, if her father just spat in her face, disgusted with her as a child, wouldn't she be punished for at least a week? And Moses has to say, well, yeah, she would have. And so then they, for a week, she's leprous because she talked bad about Moses. At the end of the week, she's healed. They're fine. They move on. The whole camp stays there and does not move the whole time she's leprous. Okay, so that's a story that they're reminded in dealing with leprosy. Anybody can get it. So don't go, oh, well, that's a poor man's disease. Back in the day, years ago, we had a, a go round with lice. And there, there's a big stigma with lice in inner city Toledo that says that the poor, unbathed, undisciplined people get lice. That's just not true. Anybody can get lice, right? Anybody. In fact, the cleaner your scalp the more likely you are to get it. Not the other way around. Right? Dirty scalps, they can't get to the core, so they, can't, they don't take root. Right? They don't eat. So the point is, he was saying, anybody can suffer, remember the suffering. That's what he was saying about Miriam. Also, by the way, 
Moses, never, Moses, who was the leader of them coming out of Egypt, never saw the promised land because he offended God. God's discipline and punishment and judgment can be brought down on anybody. So before you go, oh, well, they deserve it. They're getting what they deserve. Remember, you deserve it too. Okay? That's what he's saying. 10. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge. You shall remain outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. Show the man some dignity for crying out loud that he would bring out the pledge. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him. So you could take something in pledge from a poor man, but he gets it back at night. That he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And usually it would be his cloak that was taken as a pledge because he's poor, he doesn't have much. And it will be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land in your towns. So don't oppress the poor and needy. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he may not cry against you to the Lord and it becomes sin in you. So pay him the day that he works because he's, he may not have any money. He may not be able to eat. He's, his heart is set on that money. Pay him the day that he works. That's interesting, isn't it? 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Today, we always want to punish the parents for the sins of their children. But once children are old enough to know, they're old enough to know. 17. You shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. So God was saying, be respectful and don't abuse, if you will, taking a widow's garment in pledge or fail to give justice to an alien who might not have legal standing or to an orphan who doesn't have parents to defend him. Right? 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf, that's when they bundle up the, the grain and it stands upright usually, or they lay it in a pile on the ground that they're going to carry out. It says, you forgot one. You shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. So before the, the olives are really ripe, you beat the tree to get the olives to fall off, and the olive oil that comes out of it is really sweet. And you can wait until the olives are really ripe and take them off. You can pick them by hand or whatever, or shake, and a lot more will fall off, but then they're less sweet. So you beat the tree while the olives are not really, really ripe yet. Less will fall off. He's saying, if you beat the tree while the olives are not really ripe yet, or not all of them, the ones that don't fall off, those aren't yours. Those are for the orphan or for the widow. Even though that's their land, their trees that God gave them, right? He says, no, you don't, you don't get that now. The, the, all the rest of that, as they ripen up, the orphans and the widows can pick that. That'll be theirs. 22, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. See, they had nothing. God gave them the tree. God gave them the land. They had nothing. Now they have everything. The poor still have nothing, and they must remember the poor, the orphan, the alien, the widow. 25, a little further. If there is a dispute between men, and they go to court, and the judges decide their case, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So the judges pick the good guy. He's fine. He didn't do it. The other guy said, you did it. 
Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him forty times, but no more, lest he beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother be degraded in your eyes. Here's the thing about justice. I actually learned this from Magic the Gathering. There's a thing called power creep, right? So what happens is this. Somebody does something wrong, they get a punishment. Then they do it wrong again. So what happens now? They have to get a more severe punishment. Then they do it wrong again. Or their brother does it. Or a family member does it. Or a friend does it. It doesn't matter. It's still happening in our society. And we're trying to abolish this crime, right? So now you have to go more. So now we're not beating them 40 times or we're beating them 60 because it takes 60 times for people to get the point. But it's not the same person even, right? And by the way, 40 is a, a God number. It means all the corners of the earth and all the sides of the earth. That's why it rained for 40 days. 40 is enough, right? It was enough. Nobody wants to be whipped 40 times. And if a man would commit a crime and then be whipped 40 times for it, if he commits it again, he's either insane or he's got a good reason, right? And so they were saying, don't let that power creep, don't let that punishment creep up to be like the other nations. That's also why dads would be punished for the crimes of their children, or children would be punished for the crimes of their dad, because, oh, I see, you don't care if you get punished. We'll see how you like it when I punish your kid. Or the kid does something wrong and says, okay, I, you know, you're just a kid. We're going to let you off. We're going to punish your dad. Or it's a grown man, 30-year-old, who punishes his father because that grown man, 30-year-old, doesn't want to see his 60-year-old dad get whipped. So he's going to straighten up and not do it again so his dad won't get whipped. That kind of thing. It's all power creep. So that's the end of the text for today. That last one, remember, was about that brother being degraded in their eyes if he was whipped more than the 40 times. All right, so the first thing in here, let me touch on the title first. It says it's just society. That doesn't mean it's, it's just society. It means it's just society. Society, as in a society that has justice in it. And God is telling us how to run a society that has justice in it. So in the kingdom of God, it should be like this, because the kingdom of God is a just society. It means in the church, it should be like this, because the church is the kingdom of God, and therefore a just society. All right? So the first thing, and maybe this, like if this was all you get, this is key. All right? And that is this. To God, personhood is precious. What do I mean by that? Well, your personhood is you. It's your identity. It's the way you make decisions. It's the way you were programmed by the world and rebel sometimes, programmed by the world and don't rebel sometimes. It's your processing, your heart. You could say it's your soul. It's your personhood. It's who you are. That is precious. God does not want you to stop being who you are he just wants to cut out the old dead man that's sinful. He wants to kill. When you die, the new you, the resurrected you, it's either A, all new things, or B, all old things made new. Right? The Bible does not say that when you get saved, everything that you were stops. That's a mistake. That's a misinterpretation of 2 Corinthians 5. What it says that is that all old things pass away, all things become new. Anything that cannot serve you, anything that cannot serve God and serve other people in the kingdom of God is meant to pass away. 
But anything that can serve you, serve God and serve the kingdom of God, will be made new. Right? And so your personhood is not wiped out. But also, I think we can realize, as precious as it is to God, it is not something for us to treasure. Your uniqueness is not meant to hold you back from following God. Your uniqueness is meant to show you that you can have a unique one-on-one personal relationship with the, with the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. People are going to do it ways that don't make any sense to you. This has happened to me a great deal. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think God says this, do this this way. And then I think I look at you and you're doing it a different way. And I think, uh, but God says do it this way. Now, what's being done may not be a sin, right? But to me, God says do it this way, so I'm thinking, it's not right, right? That person's personhood is messed up, it's flawed, it has an error in it, and I wish we could fix it. How are we going to fix it? Well, they really need to repent and turn to Jesus. But wait a minute. What do we repent from and turn to Jesus? We repent from our old self and sin and turn. You can't repent from your personhood. To God, your personhood is precious. So that whole idea of like, I'm a late riser or I'm an early riser. Now, caution needs to be exercised because if you're a late riser when you should be an early riser, that is sin. If God would ordain that you get up early, get in the Word, spend some time with Him and then go to work and you don't do that, that's sin. Right? If you make a commitment to do something in the morning at 9 and you're not an early riser and you wake up and it's 10, You just sinned because you made a commitment to do something and you didn't do it. So there are issues that arise out of one type or another, but either way, whatever you are, that's your current personhood. And God is not trying to abolish that. Indeed, God is trying to set it free. Mind you, in Christ, but set it free. When I was growing up, my dad used to say, poor people have poor ways. We'd be driving down the road and we'd see a car where the bumper was damaged and it was duct taped back on. Right, about 30 rows of duct tape pulling the bumper. I remember one particular time it was the road, this exact event. And he, my dad would say, I'd say, that's kind of weird, Dad. Why don't they just get it fixed? And he said, well, poor people have poor ways. Well, my dad was off work from Dana because they had a, a very long strike. <clears throat> and the strike pay had run out. And so they were not making any money whatsoever. And we began to eat very slim pickings certain foods that were cheap, prepared. And my mom began to save leftovers for the first time in the decade that I'd been alive. And I noticed the difference and I commented on it to my dad. And my dad said, well, son, we're not getting paid money because I'm off work. We're past the strike pay. So there's no money coming in whatsoever. And they're, they're trying to raise some money to help people. But the bottom line is, when our savings are gone, we're out of money. And he said, poor people have poor ways. But be careful and don't judge yourself as a poor person, but also don't judge a poor person for being poor. Senator from Ohio State Senate, and I don't have her permission to use this illustration, so I'm not going to name her, said to me, the problem is that the people in the, in the government have determined that this is a great land of opportunity and anybody who's poor is poor for some reason that's their own fault. And so if they don't have enough money, they don't have enough resources, they can't find enough food, they're poor because essentially they choose to be poor and so the government doesn't have to help them get unpoor. 
Now, whether or not that's true, I think it's kind of a skeptical point of view, but the bottom line is the poor are not poor because they're poor. The Bible says they will all, the poor you will always have with you. Jesus' words. And so we'll always be able to find somebody who's poor. It's not going to happen. Now, sometime you're going to be poor, and sometime you're not going to be poor, speaking financially. But in Christ, you can always be wealthy if your personhood is found in Christ is liberated, set free, and protected in Christ. We all understand that times of war require drastic measures. During World War II, a, and I did not know this firsthand, so don't think I'm that old, right? But there was a rationing system set up in the U.S. You had stamps. So you're allowed to get X bread, X milk, right? And you had to go and turn in your stamp to be allowed to buy, with your own money, milk. Gasoline. The, the list goes on and on. Bricks. Bricks became so expensive and so uncommon and rations. Ration. Bricks. You don't eat bricks. You don't drive bricks. You don't sit on bricks. Bricks. My parents' house was built during World War II. It wasn't built on a foundation because the owner couldn't get the bricks. This is why the floors in their house go like this to this day. And then they later had a foundation built under it and they were told that they could jack it up and reset it, but it didn't reset. So now it's stable and solid with a foundation, but the floors are still like this, right? Because bricks were rationed. In times of war, extreme actions may be taken. Are you taking extreme actions? I submit to you that as Christians, we have forgotten that we are living in a time of war. Is your personhood geared for a time of war or a time of recreation? Are you entertaining yourself, comforting yourself, and finding the parts of yourself that need a little stroking and giving it a little stroke? Or are you remembering that at any given moment, Satan could come against you? Now, it's unlikely that any of us will ever meet him in our lifetime, but you realize that the devil himself could, if he ever chose to, come against you personally. He could step in the room... I assume he'd be dressed nicely, and you probably wouldn't realize it was him. And he could tempt you to revoke your decision to follow the G Jesus Christ, and would you be prepared? Would you be afraid? Because you don't need to be afraid, because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. But if you're busy stroking the parts of your personhood that don't build up the parts of your personhood that can fight against the devil if he should ever choose you to show up against... And when that time comes, your personhood will retreat. And what's left? And what's left? We are living in a time of war. We must take care of one another and even protect each other's personhood. As God sees it as precious, so must we be ready to make the necessary drastic measures. That means you may have to be inconvenienced. You may have to go out of your way and serve somebody and do something for them. Because they, in their personhood, made a decision that is not expressly sin, and it affects you. And now you've got to carry the load or the burden, so that other person can just be who they are in Christ. And that's it. God sees personhood as precious, and in a society run by God, God will not set it up so that you cannot be who you are. If someone refuses to let you be who you are, now if who you are is sin, then repent of that and turn back to God. But otherwise, if someone refuses to let you be who you are, then they are not respecting your personhood as God does. One final example. Have you seen the movie Hunger Games? 
recently Ariana expressed a desire to see that movie, and so we began watching it so we could help her decipher it, because it is rated PG-13, she is 9, and there are things in it that she cannot see. So we fast-forwarded through one scene so far. We missed fast-forwarding through one other scene that we should have fast-forwarded through, but we're doing okay. Very little foul language in it. In that movie, there is a scene where President Snow meets with, I think his name is Plutarch, but anyway, it's the first designer of the first Hunger Games, the 74th Hunger Games, right? He meets with him, and he says to him, he says, have you ever been out there to District like 11 and 12? He said, have you ever been out there? He said, there are a lot of underdogs out there. A lot of people just trying to get by, who rise up from their circumstances, a lot of underdogs. He said, because he said, you like an underdog. And he said, yeah, everybody likes an underdog. He said, have you ever been out there? There's a lot of underdogs out there. He says, also a lot of grain, coal, feed crops, row crops of all kinds of things, all kinds of things that we need, factories, those things that we need, and a lot of underdogs. He said, if you had been out there and you had met them, you wouldn't like them either. You know why? Because the underdog personhood, the one that is unleashed in God, the one that is doing what it is that God wants them to do in their way, the way that God made them, the way that God programmed them, but under God's auspices, with God's power in it, with God's Holy Spirit backing it, with God's presence pushing it, right? If I go forward and I witness to somebody the way I would witness to somebody, my personhood, nothing can stop that. Which is why society is constantly trying to get people to conform. Be different, come be like us. Right? Abandon the parts of your personhood that are unique and different. Come be like us. Listen to what we have to say. Right? God creates a society that is the exact opposite of that. He said everybody in this society will be covered under grace. They get to go into the promised land, not because they're good, but because I said so. And they're willing to receive it from me and follow me. And then we will go forward and we will use that unique you in a unique way to uniquely affect a unique society set inside a unique world that is lost and dying and going to hell. And Satan doesn't like an underdog personhood that's unleashed in Christ. And the fact is that members of the church and Christians all over the world we're listening to him. We're listening to those evil spirits that says, well, you're a little weird. Don't be weird like that. Right? Don't dress that way. Don't behave that way. Don't act that way. Don't talk that way. Don't be who you are. No one can know who you are. Keep your mask on. Listen, when you came to Jesus Christ, your mask went in the fires of hell. Now be who you are in Christ. Let the things that are not supposed to be you, the old things, the sinful things, die away. Let your new personhood, resurrected, born again in Christ, live. Yes, he'll, if you get rid of your ability to walk the old way, you're going to have to learn an ability to walk the new way. You have to learn to walk again. That's why it's called being born again. You have to learn to walk again. If the old way of giving, giving because it'll make you feel good, make somebody else feel good, because they may give back, because you have excess and you don't want to feel guilty about your excess, all that, the old way of giving, that's got to go. That died when you died in Christ. <clears throat> For he died for us, so all died. So that died when you died in Christ. The new way of giving, giving without expecting anything back, giving because you recognize the need, giving because it will honor and glorify God, giving because giving is a thing we do, and it's part of who we are, giving for that reason, that'll be with you forever. But the enemy does not like 
an underdog unleashed, somebody who will live who they are different for Christ is the most dangerous thing. And God recognizes that and he says, so be that. Be who you are. Just be it in Christ. And when you see sin, cut it out. When you make mistakes, get on with life. People make mistakes. Confess them and move on. God's precious personhood must be allowed to exist within the kingdom of God and God's kingdom is everywhere that Christians are. Let us see precious personhood in everybody else we meet. The next thing, protections for the poor. This text is largely about the poor being protected. Anybody, as I said, might be poor. It was there and there and there and there. Here's what happens. The wealthy and the great, those who get in top, those who are doing well, they become deviants. They emphasize the parts of their personality or their personhood that do not honor God. Recently, a popular uh, star, and I'm going to... I, I, you know, I'm not going to talk bad about her, but she sings and she's well-liked, especially amongst teenage girls and 20-somethings. And I read a post by a Southern Baptist pastor online and, and somebody asked the question, why do so many young people, what do they see in this person? And another pastor posted, well, I'll tell you what happened with my daughter. She had a stuffed animal and it was named after this pop star. And just recently she changed its name. And so I asked her, I said, why did she change its name? And she said, well, this pop star in her most recent music video for her most recent release song, she's dressed up as the devil and the song is singing about how you don't need to forgive. You don't need to be a person of forgiveness. You don't need to forgive anybody. That's a trick of society. They're trying to force you to forgive and you don't have to do that. You can hold a grudge and it's okay. And she said, and I know that's not what God says, so now I'm done with her. A child. She said, now I'm done with her. And Jesus said, unless you come like a little child in the kingdom of God, you'll have no part with me. Are you willing to go... Here is somebody who's pushing on my personhood something that is disrespectful, something that is ungodly, and I'm not going to have anything to do with it. It's all over Facebook, the, the anniversary parade in Brazil, where they had a, a guy dressed up as the devil beating all the way down the street with blood and scars and whips and everything else, and he and his little evil spirits around, beating Jesus all the way down the street. And everywhere they passed, they applauded. See, God sees your personhood as precious, but in the kingdom of God, unleashed for Him. But there are people who just don't know. They're in a tough spot. They're, they're wrong. And it would be so easy for us as wealthy kingdom members, and it is already so easy for people who are wealthy in some way in the world, to dismiss or dispose of anybody that's poor and go, they've got a problem, I don't got to do nothing about it. When's the last time you paid somebody else's rent? When's the last time you willingly loaned money to somebody who had a need? Right? The Bible says that's the kind of people we are. I'm, I struggle with this myself because I need a break. So I'm thinking vacation. But I also see people who are in need. So as Christians, we have to decide. And here's where the line is drawn. The poor is protected Loans are ordered. Don't go and take their pledge out of their house. Let them bring it out to you. Protect their dignity. Right? But do loan to them for a cloak. Loan 100 gold if necessary. That cloak's probably worth 5 gold. Loan whatever you need to. Take the pledge. But give it back at night so we can sleep in it. See, they're protected. You can't go into society thinking, I'm going to win people to Jesus. 
You can't do that. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, which we'll read it in the conclusion, we're almost there already. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father except to be called. Do you understand that you do not have the ability to win people to Jesus? You just don't. It's not in you. It's not some kind of spiritual gift, like the evangelist is a gift to the church and he can do it, and he's better at winning people to Jesus than anybody else. That's true. But we don't have this gift in us that we can win people to Jesus. The gift that wins people to Jesus is Jesus. So you go out in society, you look at somebody and go, that person doesn't want to hear about Jesus. But you tell them anyway. There will be dozens of people in heaven from my life and from your life and whatever that we said they don't want to hear about Jesus anyway. Looking at them, they don't want to hear about it. The way they're acting, they don't want to hear about it. I shouldn't bring it into this conversation because we're talking about something that has nothing to do with that and I'll look like a Bible thumper or I'll, I'll, I'll be hurting their feelings or whatever. Yes, precious personhood. Respect them. Offer to talk about it with them. If they decline, it's fine. You could share the entire gospel. They say they don't want to be saved. It's fine. That's their choice. It doesn't make any sense, but there are people who don't have and don't want to have. There is a whole subculture in the United States of America of people that go from pantry to pantry or community meal to community meal. They live on the street or they live poor. They search couch to couch, whatever, and they don't want to have a job and they don't want to have a permanent property or a permanent roof. And that's fine. There's nothing that says they can't be saved or go to heaven when they die. But they don't want a job that they have to report for work. And if they don't, what's it to you? You got a problem with that? That's their personhood. That's what they've chosen. So you're not going to share Jesus with them. Or you're not going to give to them. Or you're not going to take care of them. God sees personhood as precious and he puts in place protections for the poor. We have to recognize that the poor have personhood. They are created in the image of the God of the universe. Yes, they are now, if they don't know Christ, they're exhibiting a fallen image. I have more often talked to people who profess to know Jesus and can quote scripture and talk about what they meditated on yesterday, talk about what they read in their Bibles yesterday, talk about what they studied this week, talk about what I talked about in my sermon last Sunday from out there amongst the poor who have almost nothing than I have from inside our own church. My own family. I'll preach the sermon and then talk about something I talked about in the sermon and I get blank gazes. And I'm not trying to judge or be accusatory. What I'm saying is, there is a greater need for it, and they're pursuing it. They know what they need, and they're pursuing it. And what that is is faith. They're, they're, they're going, I need to go to heaven when I die. Do I need a job? Yeah, kind of. Do I need a place to live? Yeah, kind of. Do I need food to eat? Yeah, kind of. But what I really need is to go to heaven when I die. What I really need is to be prepared that when evil spirits come against me while I'm in my struggles, I have some defense. And our families and everybody that I see, we're all pretty taken care of by God. And if we're pretty taken care of by God, then we need to understand that God has protections for the poor. There will be, in the United States of America today, a thousand children that die of starvation or malnutrition. It shouldn't be. We live in a first world country. It's available. Food's available. A thousand children in America today will die, and I'm not prophesying that, I just believe it's true, of malnutrition or starvation today. And there's no one in this room that does not have access 
to something to eat. God has protections for the poor. If they die today, a thousand children die of starvation today, if they're before the age of innocence, they'll go straight to heaven. And if they're after and they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they'll go straight to heaven. Also watching Hunger Games, Capital, Division 1 is the capital, and in there we're looking at the wealthy, and this is what the wealthy do. They have unnecessary surgeries. They color their skin, they color their hair, right? In the United States of America, they change their gender. They change their name. They dye their hair, paint their nails, and it just goes on and on. They do everything they want to themselves because they have access to money and time. Listen, I'm telling you right now, in the poorest parts of the United States of America where people are literally struggling to put food on their table or in the world where there are, they, they don't have anything to eat, they don't know where they're going to eat. They're not worried about whether they're a boy or a girl. They're worried about what are they going to eat. In those countries where poverty and hunger is the greatest need, there's no transgenders. None. Check your statistics. There's nobody going, gosh, I think God meant for... The reason I can't find any food to eat is because God meant for me to be a boy instead of a girl. It's not happening. In times of war, get drastic. There will be those who, they're not in times, it's all right, everything is good, I'm okay. And so now I'm going to look at what am I going to fix about myself? What am I going to do? What am I going to buy? Right? Most expensive cars are bought for the way they look and how they drive. Why else do you buy a car? You don't buy an expensive car to get from point A to point B. You buy it for how it looks and how it drives. Right? For $15,000, you buy a car that for the next 10 years will pretty much not fail you and get you from point A to point B for $15,000. If you spent $100,000 on that, same thing, you'd be wasting $85,000. That's a fact. But when you have $100,000 or credit or enough to make the payments, you can spend $100,000 on a car and just drive it to nowhere. Not from point A to B, but just for fun. Just because. Meanwhile, a thousand children die of starvation. And a man can't get a loan to get back on his feet. People can't get their rent paid or their utilities paid. Or their house burned down and they lost everything, but now they got nowhere to live. And they're living on somebody's couch. God has protections for the poor. And of, the, of all those protections, we are one. Because we are supposed to be sharing the gospel. So I had a lady call me at the life station. She goes, I got nothing. I don't know what to do. I'm ready to just kill myself. I was sitting in my office upstairs back when, this back in the day when my office was on the top end of the building. And I said, tell me what's going on. She said, I'm living in a hotel. Three days overdue on our rent. We've got no money. We've got no food. My kids are crying all the time. So I put all my stuff in a storage unit and then it all, it all got lost because we couldn't pay for the storage unit. So they sold it all off. Sold $5,000 of stuff to pay my $60 bill that I couldn't pay or $100 bill that I couldn't pay, whatever it was. So I got nothing. I don't know what to do. So I talked to her about we could get her food. Talked to her about what help we could offer, where she could look for other help. And then I talked to her about Jesus. And I shared the gospel. I told her the basic facts of what it takes to be saved. And over the phone, she prayed to accept Christ. She's tears. Had to have been streaming down her face. So she's bawling like a baby as she's accepting Jesus. You're like, listen, 
if what you're worried about is putting food on the table, if you're about to kill yourself because you got no food, you got no place to live, and everything is falling apart, you don't want to hear about Jesus then, right? Because what is Jesus even going to do about that? It's exactly when you need to hear about Jesus or when you're going through anything else at all. So I shared Jesus Christ with her. Simple. I didn't know what to do. God prompted me. I just did it. We prayed over the phone. She accepted Jesus Christ. As we got off the phone, she was praising God. She said, God is going to take care of me. I just absolutely know it. I'm so grateful for the help that you're offering and the leads that you gave me on other help. She said, I know God's going to be with us now. It's going to be fine. And even if it doesn't work out, we're going to heaven. I'm going to tell my kids and try to win them to Jesus right now. I got off the phone. And the woman who was sitting in the room, I don't have her permission to share her name, looked at me and she said, I've never seen that before. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, the previous director that worked here, he'd get calls like that all the time. And the, and the gospel was never shared. It was always about how we can help you and so on and so on like that. She said, why did you tell her about Jesus? That's not what she really needed. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room. I said, I'm sorry. But that's just not true. And it never will be. Because what Jesus, will Jesus always be what they really need? Yes. Someday, if they survive hunger, they'll die and go to heaven or hell based on what they did with Jesus. Stop thinking that they can't accept Jesus and realize you need to talk to everyone who will listen. And the truth is, Jesus said, I come to preach the gospel to the poor because the poor just might be more ready to listen. Lastly, it's property provided. All through the text, you can see this is how you handle the property. You provide loan it, don't do this, don't do that. It's how you handle the vineyard. It's how you handle the, the grain. You wrap it up yourself and then you forget it in the field. Oh, I forgot one. You don't go back for it. That goes to the poor. You beat the tree to take off the sweet olives. You collect them all up, take them to the market to sell. A few weeks later, there's a lot of sweet olives there, but you don't touch them because that's for the poor, for the alien, for the widow, for the orphan. So there's all things about here and how to handle property, but the key point is this. All that they had, they were given by grace. You don't deserve your house. You don't deserve your relationships. You don't deserve your money. You didn't get it because you're a good person who talks nice to people and they gave it to you. You, don't get, you didn't get it because you worked hard and earned it. None of that is true. How do I know? Because there's a lot of people who worked hard and earned it and died before they got it. Car accidents, heart attacks, the list just goes on and on. COVID, right? There's a lot of people who, if anybody deserved it, they deserved it, and they died. Saved a million dollars for retirement and died before they retired. You don't get it because you deserved it. Now, is there a correlation between work and the resource that God puts in your hands so that you can manage them? Yes, there is a correlation between that. In fact, God expects you to work and says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That's not me, that's Bible. So there is a correlation between working and eating. There is. But you don't get to eat because you work. Right? You get to eat because of the grace of God. It is the grace of God that maintains the world to this point. He is not slow in keeping his promises, as some men count slowness, but rather he is patient that all men might come to repentance. The lost person in your life is the reason we're all still here. Not you, not me, not the Pope or some guy who says he knows Jesus. That's not why we're still here, because if it was for people who know Jesus, we'd go straight to heaven because it's going to all be better then. Jesus would come again. We're still here for the lost people. 
The property that we have, the blessings that we have, the wealth that we have, all of these things we are to administer as weapons and tools of God's grace. The poor are poor for reasons of God's knowing. Don't get into that which is above your station. The wealthy are wealthy for reasons that God explains. You're given your wealth so that you can do good with it. This property that was given them, they came out of Egypt and what did they have? The clothes on their backs, whatever they could drag through that hundreds of miles hike across the Red Sea. Few animals, very little, just, they mostly probably ate them along the way until they got into the desert and got the manna. They, didn't have, they needed to eat, right? So whatever food they had, whatever scarce provisions. And the gold and the silver, which there was nobody to buy anything from, but the gold and the silver that they brought out of Egypt with them, which they eventually turned into a calf that they worshipped, right? That was a mess. What was the wealth for? The poor are poor for God's reasons. He decides. The wealthy are wealthy for reasons that He tells us. If you, are, if you don't think you're wealthy, then I suggest you check yourself. Because at the very least, you're getting a wealth of teaching. At the very least. And it is to share with others. If you have Jesus Christ, you don't get to look at somebody and say, I don't think they want to hear. That is a sin against God. Do you know if they want to hear? You do not. Do you know if they need to hear? You do. We have the wealth, at least of the gospel, given to us by grace, and we are to share it with every person so that their personhood, which we ought to respect at every step along the way, can be set free for God, and realize that God will protect the poor. God will decide who hears and who doesn't. God will decide whose position he elevates and whom he declines. That brings us to our conclusion. I told you I have judged wrongly. I submit to you, you might be surprised if you would just say, from now on, every person, everywhere, that I can get into any kind of conversation with, talking about sports, talking about clothing, talking about weather, whatever, I'm going to try to say something about spiritual beliefs and see where it goes. And you will be surprised at how many people, drug addicts give their life to Christ, liars and thieves, poor people, bikers, at one point in time, in northern Ohio, between Cleveland and Toledo, we had seven, count them, seven previous drug dealers who had given themselves to Christ, preaching the gospel, planting churches. Seven! Had two guys come through the life station, both of which were former drug dealers. One of which had already given his life to Christ, and one of which, which gave his life to Christ through the ministry of the life station. He's like, I can't share the gospel with a drug dealer. If you don't, how will they ever stop dealing drugs? I can't share the gospel with a drug addict. If you don't, how will they ever stop doing drugs? I can't share the gospel with a poor man who, has, who needs so much that I can't possibly help him. If you don't, and everybody makes the same decision, they will not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul wrote in Romans, how will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if someone doesn't go, you might be surprised. You might be the next 
Billy Graham in your lifetime. Not preaching in huge tent revivals, but winning people to Christ wherever you go. Ariana is nine. In school, in third grade, she became known as the one who will tell a Bible story. And so they would come up to her and they say, what you doing, Ariana? Well, I'm doing this right now. Okay, will you tell me a story from the Bible? Kids that don't know Jesus, don't know the Bible, and don't know God, or that do go to church, but they're not getting enough there, they would come to her and say, will you tell me a story from the Bible? Why isn't that every one of us? Do your co-workers know that you're a Christian? You can protect their personhood. You can say, just in case, I just want to put this out there, I am a Bible-believing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, member of the kingdom of God. If at any point in time anybody wants to talk about God, I'm willing. I'm not going to push it on you. I'm not going to bring it up a bunch of times. I'm not going to push you past what you're comfortable with. I respect your personhood. You say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. That's fine. But when you want to talk about atheism and how untenable that position is, I'll be willing to talk about that. Whatever. But if you believe it and you think it's firm and you're solid, it's fine. I'm not going to break you down. I'm not going to beat you up. But I am here and willing to talk about Jesus. And periodically make a simple statement. Remember, I am always willing to talk about Jesus. Somebody says, I'm really struggling going through depression. I have trouble with this employment. I'm in trouble with this uh, situation in my household. Whatever you say. Remember, I'm always here to talk about Jesus. If you want to talk about Jesus, I'm always willing. I'm not going to push it on you, but I'm always willing. And somebody is going to say, hey, I remember you said, what would God say about this? And then as long as you've been praying, studying, meditating, and doing the things you're supposed to do, you're going to have an answer. I had no problem asking Caleb, what would God say about the forest fires? I felt completely confident he was going to come up with his answer. Was his answer perfect? Was it doctrine? Was it theology? Was it something a professor from a college might say? No. But did he have an answer? Yes, because he professed the name of Jesus Christ. And Christians have answers. So I submit to you, yes, think of their personhood as precious. Let God protect the poor. You don't have to do that. And use all that God has blessed you with to bring it. I'm gonna, this is my conclusion. I'm going to read these verses. I'm reading from John chapter 6. It is a relatively well-known passage, but there is some subtle nuance there that you need to hear. It's from John chapter 6, beginning in verse 44. And it says this. I'll read verse 43 because I don't want to miss. Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's Jesus saying, comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now watch what happens. Jesus said the the bread that I will give that is the life of the world is my flesh. 52. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood and have no life in your, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he eats me. He also, I'm sorry, he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread shall live forever. And from that moment on, many of them left him. Some of them wouldn't hear it. Some of them walked away because it was, was just too much. In verse 63 he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And in 65 he says, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, do you want to go away also? Do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Did you understand? As he's preaching all of this, talking about all of this, one of them right there in their midst was Judas, who would betray Jesus. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Listen to me. God sees personhood as precious. doesn't matter how messed up or goofy a person looks. They need Jesus so their personhood can be unleashed. A person says, can I be a Christian and have tattoos? Well, I sure you can. If God leads you to have tattoos, have to tattoos, whatever. The question is not, do you have tattoos? The question is, will you be led by Jesus? I saw a video online where a, a transgender man said, will I go to hell because I'm transgender? And the speaker said, no. And he, said, he went, what? And he said, no. You won't go to hell because you're transgender. You wouldn't go to hell because you're a homosexual. You wouldn't go to hell because you're a thief. You wouldn't go to hell because you're a murderer. If you go to hell, it'll be because of what you've done with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What have you done with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Well, I don't believe. Okay, for that, you would go to hell. Stop thinking a transgender won't hear it. Stop thinking a homosexual won't hear it. Stop thinking a poor man won't hear it. Stop thinking a wealthy man won't hear it. Stop thinking a biker won't hear it or a gang member or a guy spewing cuss words. In the middle of somebody says cuss words and uses the F word seven times, that's where you say, just real quick, I just want to throw in a comment here, if I may. I can see you're very upset. I'm going to try to help you, but I want to throw in a comment. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a studier of his word, and I live the best I possibly can by the way Jesus leads me, and I'm offering, if ever you should need it, if ever you should want it, to talk about Jesus. And then wait and see what happens. And that man who just used the F word seven times is going to lose his evil spirit because you used the name of Jesus. And when he loses his evil spirit, he may still be just as angry and keep doing the same things he was doing. Or he may wonder what happened and ask to be saved. The precious personhood. The protections for the poor. And the property given by God. They are the mandates of a just society. The kind of society I want to be a part of.
How about you? Or maybe we've forgotten that we are living in a time of war and drastic steps must be taken. If we are to be considered faithful followers of our God who makes war daily on our enemy, then we should live like it's a time of war and bring to application the weapons that he has given us. I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to stop judging and thinking certain people won't believe. I'm asking you to stop judging and saying, well, in my personhood, I'm just not the person to bring up Jesus in a conversation. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are. And yeah, they may walk away from you. But it is ours to witness and ours to make disciples. We must share the gospel. Maybe somebody's here today and they have said, you know, I thought I would have to stop being who I am to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And you need Jesus? You don't have to stop being who you are. The old stuff's going to die off. It's bad. It's nasty stuff. The new stuff that Jesus brings will be awesome. But really what he wants to do is unleash your personhood, the unique you, on the world. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I have done this. I have judged that there are people who don't need to hear. And I am willing to stop doing that. Put myself out there and at least offer and say, I'm here if you're interested. Will you do that? We're going to close with a hymn of invitation. It's an opportunity to make a decision today. Whether you're joining us online, listening to this in the podcast, or ask yourself, have you practiced God's precious personhood? Have you allowed God to protect the poor? And have you realized that the property that you have was all given, provided by God? And I ask you to do so going forward. Commit yourself today. God requires some sacrifices. And you're able. As praise team come forward as we sing this song, anyone will make any decision that the Lord has laid on their heart, wherever they might be here in the next